Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. Look what you did to my store. A movement, I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. Biden is not Lincoln. No matter how hard legacy media tries to paint him as Lincoln, no matter how well coordinated the propaganda campaign, Biden is not now, nor will he ever be, Abraham Lincoln. Per usual, legacy media and the Democrat Party's PR are collaborating to craft a narrative. The narrative this time is that Trump was a horrible, divisive dictator, and that in ousting him, Biden has become some kind of uniting savior akin to Abraham Lincoln. Through the dark and divisive days of Donald Trump, While the nation was plagued by a pandemic, we somehow still don't understand, even though we have multiple vaccines for it. While violence and terror gripped the streets, perpetrated by right-wing extremists who mostly stayed home watching the left-wing extremists burn entire city blocks to the ground, terrorize people in their homes, and murder a man in cold blood. Um, While Donald Trump incited half the country to hate, bigotry, and microzoophobia, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. campaigned tirelessly, day in and day out, from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., from his basement, except weekends, when he was tired, or when fresh scandals came out in the headlines. Yeah. Lincoln led our nation through its darkest years. It was his leadership that preserved the Union and it was his determination that powered the death of slavery through the 13th Amendment. President Biden now calls the nation together. A disingenuous gesture, as his actions are, if it's possible, even more divisive than Obama's were. As a candidate, he hid in his basement, and when he did pop his head out above ground, he pushed hoaxes like the Very Fine People hoax, and Trump suggesting we inject bleach to fight COVID. As president, he's done nothing to unify the country. His first day in office, via edict, he laid siege to the energy industry, halted the securing of our nation's southern border, rejoined an international health organization that lied to us on behalf of China, ordered government programs that mandate racism, cut women out of women's sports, rejoined a climate change alliance that does nothing more than redistribute wealth, called for COVID vaccine distribution goals that the Trump administration was already meeting and threatened his employees if they don't conform to the radical left's ideology. Not bad for a single day in the big chair. Now, in a carefully coordinated propaganda campaign, the left is trying to paint... If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Joe Biden, as a powerhouse unifier and prince of peace akin to President Lincoln. CNN gave us this slobbery fawning. Those lights that are... are just shooting out from the Lincoln Memorial uh, along the reflecting pool. I look, it's like almost extensions of Joe Biden's arms embracing America. It was a moment where the new president came to town and sort of convened the country in this moment of remembrance, uh, outstretching his arms. And it continued from there. As part of his staged inaugural song and dance, Biden visited the Lincoln Memorial, 
I'm sure he wasn't happy when his spotlight and cameras moment was upstaged by a journalist pointing out to the nation that he was violating his own mask mandate there before the ink was even fully dry. Did anyone else notice a sudden, complete reversal in media coverage this last week? Instead of the insulting, loaded questions, we get softballs about the president's dogs and upgrades to Air Force One. The one legitimate question that came from the press corps came from Fox News's Steve Ducey. He asked about Biden's hypocrisy not wearing a mask at the Lincoln Memorial just hours after signing an executive order mandating them. The press secretary's response? He was celebrating. I wish I could use that excuse. I have a lot to celebrate. All the time. To his credit, Ducey pressed her with a follow-up. Her response, in essence, what we say is more important than what we do. In other words, do as we say, not as we do. I believe it was Christ himself who said, by their fruits ye shall know them. The groundwork for this Pravda campaign came from Biden himself. It started with these words in Biden's own inaugural speech. In another January, on New Year's Day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put pen to paper, the president said, and I quote, if my name ever goes down into history, it'll be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. My whole soul is in it. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this. Those were beautiful words. They might even be historic if they meant anything of value. What is President Biden's whole soul in? Picking up right where we left off. Bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. Uniting to fight the foes we face. Anger, resentment and hatred. Extremism, lawlessness, violence, disease, joblessness, and hopelessness. With unity, we can do great things, important things. We can right wrongs. We can put people to work in good jobs. We can teach our children in safe schools. We can overcome the deadly virus. We can reward, reward work and rebuild the middle class and make health care secure for all. We can deliver racial justice and we can make America once again the leading force for good in the world. That was so beautiful. Brings a tear to me eye. Let's deconstruct what he said. Uniting to fight the foes we face. Anger, resentment and hatred. Extremism, lawlessness, violence. I don't even have to work for this one. From WKBT. The protesters took to the streets Saturday in St. Paul outside of the state fair, yelling, quote, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon, end quote. And from the Today Show. This morning, two Louisville police officers are recovering, shot during unrest overnight that gripped much of the city's downtown. This gunfire captured in a police live stream in the area where the officer's shooting took place. Officer down, right there. Officer down. I am very concerned about the safety of our officers. Obviously, we've had two officers shot tonight, and that is very serious. It's a very dangerous condition. And finally, from an interview with Stephen Colbert. 
I know that there are protests still happening in yes. major cities across the United States. I'm just not seeing the reporting on it that I that right. I had that's right. for the first few weeks. That's um, right. But they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. And that's they're not. This is a movement. I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. And and everyone beware because they're not going to stop. It is going to. They're not going to stop before election day in November, and they're not going to stop after election day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up and they should not. What else, President Biden? Disease, joblessness, and hopelessness. Oh, you're just making this too easy. From KUAM. Give me the opportunity to work and let me survive. I am the only breadwinner in my family. I have two kids on college and I need to pay books and tuition fees. Let me work. There's just so much going on that it's, it's, there are too many challenges for us to try to um, make a living. What am I supposed to do? I mean, really, what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm running out of options. We'll do our part, but allow us to open. From ABC7. I'm losing everything. Everything I own is being taken away from me. And back to Biden. With unity. We can do great things, important things. We can right wrongs. We can put people to work in good jobs. From Fox News. On Joe Biden's first day in office, he killed thousands of American jobs. Joe Biden killed hundreds of Wisconsin jobs. We're talking about 10,000 jobs in the $80,000, $90,000 an hour range that are gone. And back to Biden. We can teach our children in safe schools. Now, this one's not obvious on its surface. He's referring to gun control. This is what he had to say about it on the Today Show. Um, So with the tragedy that just happened in Texas, my question is, how do you justify the Democratic view on gun control when the shooter was stopped by a man who was legally licensed to carry a gun? Well, first of all, uh, the kind of gun being carried, he shouldn't be carrying. Uh, assault weapons are... Uh, I, I, I wrote the first, the last serious gun control law that was written. It was law for 10 years, and it outlawed assault weapons and it outlawed weapons with magazines that had a whole lot of bullets. And back to an old favorite on CNN. So to, to, to gun owners out there who say, well, a Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right if you have an assault weapon. And what is an assault weapon? The term was coined by the U.S. Department of the Army and referred to medium caliber rifles with full auto capability. Hold down the trigger. Gun keeps firing. Also can include selector switch options, which are also illegal for civilians to own. They've been banned for something like 100 years already. We can look to California to see what the left erroneously refers to as an assault weapon. It's any medium caliber rifle with a detachable magazine. So to to gun owners out there who say, well, a Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. And back to Biden. Didn't he look so majestic with his come over blowing in the wind? We can overcome the deadly virus. We can reward reward work. And rebuild the middle class and make health care secure for all. Yeah, about that. Here's a montage from Americans for Tax Reform. What I'd be focusing on is eliminating the $1.9 trillion tax cut that he passed. You know, people say, well, Joe, how are you going to do all this? Well, guess what? First thing I do is going to repeal this Trump tax cut. Oh, not a joke. 
what is going to be your plan um, as president to get us out of this hole? Thank you. Get rid of the Trump tax cut. No, not joking. That keeps going, but I think you get the point. I think I've mentioned before, Stephen Crowder said those tax cuts allowed him to hire two more employees. Yeah, rewarding work by taking away jobs. That's the spirit. Let's siphon more money out of the economy and call it rewarding work. Now, as for Medicare for All, socialized medicine has worked so well everywhere it's been tried. The government is so good at providing healthcare that they had to start outsourcing VA patients to private providers to get them care. But we should trust them with this. I mean, they've really streamlined the DMV, the post office. You only have to take a day off of work if you want to deal with the Social Security office. Speaking of Social Security, they've done such an amazing job managing the funds for that program. I mean, it's only been pilfered a handful of times. I'm so looking forward to never seeing any of the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars I'm going to pay in over my career. Medicare for all. Government healthcare. Because nothing says freedom like the government monopolizing another part of your life. Finally, what kind of leftist message would it be without an homage to overt racism draped in the robes of justice and a call for more new wars? We can deliver racial justice and we can make America once again the leading force for good in the world. Abraham Lincoln? He is most certainly not. He gave a flowery speech. Congratulations. They were cheap plastic flowers. It was a beautifully crafted, completely disingenuous load of counterfeit currency. Leftist media is fawning all over him for that speech, as they uniformly call for submission. I mean, unity. Unity is the left's new buzzword. In his inaugural address, President Biden's message focused on unity, healing, and de-escalation. These are beautiful sentiments. We do need de-escalation. We do need healing. And we need to unite on the foundational principles of the Constitution. Except, that's not what he's talking about. Here's a few more lines from his inaugural address. History, faith, and reason show the way, the way of unity. We can see each other not as adversaries, but as neighbors. Like when Hillary Clinton labeled half the country deplorables. We can treat each other with dignity and respect, which is why the Democrat Party is labeling half the country domestic terrorists and musing compulsory re-education. We can join forces, stop the shouting, and lower the temperature. Yes, we can, but only if we come together on the principles of the Constitution. That's not what they're calling for. They want unity, but only on their terms. There's a word for that. It's called submission. That's what President Biden and the rest of the leftist voices are really calling for. They spent the last four years calling half the country racists, bigots, homophobes, Islamophobes, white supremacists, and now domestic terrorists, all while supporting and covering for violent leftist agitators, massive riots, and legitimate domestic terrorism from Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Now that they're in power, with little to impede their agenda, they want the half the country that they've been berating, abusing, and labeling to join them and happily accept their dominance. As long as the left continues their hard drive towards totalitarianism and demand we come together on those unacceptable terms, there can't be unity, or we'll be submitting future generations to all of the worst abuses of history. The left isn't building new, innovative plans based on new, innovative ideas. They're dusting off all the oldest methods of controlling and submitting mass populations. Ronald Reagan wasn't being hyperbolic when he said, We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of men on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. His generation knew what languished behind the Iron Curtain and how they got there.
This was the line from Biden's speech which stood out to me the most. For without unity, there is no peace. Without unity, there is no peace. Again, what kind of unity is the left calling for? Unity on their terms, under their plan, a wholly unacceptable, destructive, abusive plan. Without submission, there is no peace. That was his message. When you look past the beautiful, meaningless flowers, that is the substance hidden beneath. One of Donald Trump's greatest achievements? No new wars. Biden couldn't even make it off the inauguration stand without declaring a new war. And this time, on American citizens. Clear and now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and we will defeat. Political extremism, white supremacy, those sound terrible. We should confront and defeat them. Hold on a second, though. Wasn't that how they described the Tea Party? The Tea Party that sought to elect constitutionally-minded representatives? That, after their rallies, left the Capitol Mall cleaner than they found it? The Tea Party that Obama weaponized the IRS against? They bandied the accusations of political extremism and white supremacy around with such reckless abandon as to leave them nearly meaningless. The left has accused black people of white supremacy. That's not a joke. They call it internalized whiteness and they consider it racial treason. Welcome to the war on whatever they decide to label political extremism, white supremacy, or domestic terrorism. Or in other words, on dissent. Our system of government was built on compromise. When good continues to compromise with evil, and there's no other term for endless wars, on-demand abortion, and public theft, When good continues to compromise with evil, the trend is toward evil. When you meet evil halfway, over and over and over, you move further and further in that direction. The Constitution was written to establish hard boundaries around government power to prevent that trend from impacting any meaningful areas of life. We were never meant to compromise on issues of good and evil. We were meant to compromise on issues of preference. Once those constitutional boundaries were ignored and trampled, The trend toward evil broke out into most of the forbidden zones. Freedom of speech and of the press is under heavy attack, as is our right to the tools necessary to preserve our lives and our freedom. Protections against unwarranted search and seizure were violated long ago, and the federal government has its grubby paws in all kinds of areas that were assigned exclusively to state purview. We need to stop compromising until those constitutional boundaries are reestablished and fortified. We should always consider bending on matters of preference but never on conscience or founding principles. Constitutional protections must extend to the private sector. Once, those protections were said to apply only to the federal government. How could they be unalienable rights if the states could violate them? As they did. Then a Supreme Court decision extended them to the states. Those same constitutional protections must be extended to the private sector, or there are no real protections at all. If our fundamental rights are given to us by our Creator, then it is he alone who has the authority to take them away. No media company, no tech company, no private enterprise has the authority to subvert our constitutionally protected rights. One of the big questions hanging out there right now is, what role does government play in the free market? If you're still listening this far, I'm pretty confident that you don't believe total government control is the right way to go. But I think most of us recognize that government does have a role. The free market is not an unfettered market. An unfettered market devolves into monopolistic tyranny. It would not look terribly dissimilar to Lord of the Flies. 
Without rules, checks, and balances, there's nothing to stop businesses from suppressing competition through dishonest practices or by forming cartels, which put the domination of the group above all other concerns. When government gets in bed with business, business supports the political cronies who in turn use government power to suppress their competition. Too much government influence picks winners and losers and ends with monopolistic tyranny. Too little, and the tycoons and magnates do it themselves. A lot of people are asking then, what's the right balance? How much government is the right amount? That's entirely the wrong question. It's not about how much government is involved, but how they're involved. They have a very specific role to play. Government's job in keeping the market free is to regulate specifically to ensure competition. Does a football ref tell the opposing team they have to hop on one leg, that the ball gets partially deflated for one team but not for another, or that they can have six players on the field while the preferred team gets a full 11? Of course not. But right now, that's exactly what's happening with government. What government should be doing is regulating to ensure competition. They also need to ensure that the incentives of exchange exist only between producers and consumers and do not exist between producers and regulators. There should be no exchanges between businesses and politicians, or businesses and government agencies. Instead of corruptly rejecting every competitor to the EpiPen auto-injector, the FDA should be ensuring those competitors are on the market. Competition forces business to make better, safer, cheaper, more innovative, longer-lasting products. If they don't, someone else will, and will buy from that competitor instead. Instead of creating regulations that prevent small businesses and startups from competing with big business, they should be ensuring the big business isn't collaborating with other big business, or government, to suppress that competition. Business doesn't like competition. It requires hard work, innovation, intelligence. It requires competence. It's much easier to grease some palms and wheel some deals to cut out competitors, and then just keep on coasting. Let's go back to the sports analogy. You have a professional sports team. They're newer to the scene. The players work out and practice hard. They come up with innovative plays that work. They're even more entertaining to watch. In the upcoming game, they're playing against a long-established team. The team barely works out, half-heartedly practices, and hasn't come up with a new play in a decade. But they've made deals with the association and the refs. Without those deals, the game would be a disaster for them. The team that worked hard and innovated would destroy them on the field. Those deals, however, have ensured that they can't field as many players and can't afford the equipment they need to train properly. Additionally, the refs call the game entirely one-sided, negating any gains they made despite their enforced handicaps, and never call against when the established team intentionally injures their players. Right now, the biggest threat big business poses to the average consumer is the violation of constitutional rights. They protect the interests of their benefactors in government by cutting off the lines of communication, banking, and commerce general for dissenters. When competition arises re-establishing those services, they use their corrupt relationships to take down those competitors. If anyone wants to argue that these are private entities and are not subject to the constraints of constitutional protections, then I will ask in return, how far does that extend? Where's the line? If private enterprise can violate constitutional protections on speech and the press, are they permitted to violate the protections of liberty? Can they jail people themselves? How about life? Can they kill people? If not, where's the line? And justify why that line is drawn there. Justify why private enterprise can violate some constitutionally protected rights, but not others. Specifically on speech, who is the ultimate arbiter of truth from a legal standpoint? It must be each person for themselves. According to the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal. 
Clearly, all people are not created equal in terms of capacity, talent, intelligence, competence, interests, physical attributes like height, weight, and attractiveness. So what does this mean? All men are created equal. It means that no one has authority over anyone else by virtue of these attributes. Being more intelligent does not give one authority over those less intelligent. Being more competent does not give one authority over those less competent. Just because big tech believes themselves more intelligent, more competent, or more capable of determining what is true and what is not, that does not give them the authority to enforce it. The same goes for government. There's a lot of bad speech out there. There are lies and there are destructive ideas. The answer to that problem is not control of speech. It's more speech. No one has the authority to police the speech of people they are equal to. That would violate the equality. Information and ideas must be judged on their merits by each individual. If speech is controlled, that means the information and ideas that would allow the individual to make a competent assessment are no longer available. There's a term for that. It's called manipulation. For an individual or entity to suggest that they should arbitrate truth for the rest of us implies they believe themselves infallible. One attribute in which we are all equal is fallibility. Constitutional protections on rights exist specifically to protect us from that universal trait of fallibility. There's one more thing I want to discuss before I call it here. Watch, in the coming months and years, the left use people and then kick them to the curb once they've served their purpose. For this next part, I'm going to just mass hat tip the Daily Wire, the Blaze, HNGN, and the Gateway Pundit. I'll credit directly where I quote, but the rest of it is an amalgamation of about a dozen articles from those sources. The Democrat Party called in 26,000 National Guard troops to D.C. for the inauguration. That's equivalent to two army divisions. That show of force was overwhelming. It's reported that Nancy Pelosi called for crew-operated automatic weapons for the military vehicles. Those are designed for mowing down entire groups of people. There were red and green zones established, checkpoints everywhere, bridges were closed. The might and authority of the Democrat Party was not to be mistaken. However, once the show was over, those fighting men and women were discarded. The Blaze reports, Several outlets confirmed Thursday night that thousands of National Guard troops sent to provide security for the inauguration of President Joe Biden were kicked out of the Capitol and other federal buildings the following day. Those troops were called in for a massive and utterly unnecessary show of force, and then discarded with no arrangements for food or lodging. 5,000 of them ended up in a near-freezing parking garage with one bathroom that contained just two toilets. The Biden's dogs were treated better than the troops they called in. Alex Horton posted photos from one site, including one titled, And if you want to use the bathroom, well... Followed by a photo of an overflowing porta potty Remember, these are the troops that were, to a man, investigated by the FBI because the Democrats just couldn't have any Trump supporters in their midst. Soldiers were actually dismissed for supporting Donald Trump on social media. The intent was to create a Praetorian Guard of sorts, who had passed their loyalty test. While I am confident none of them, even the dismissed soldiers, would ever represent a physical threat to the politicians who have so abused them, I wonder how many of them have now reassessed their political loyalty. They just weren't a priority for the Democrats. There were too many celebrities to rub shoulders with and too much partying to do. The Daily Wire reported, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi ordered the National Guard to Washington, but sources told Politico that there was no plan to handle logistics once the inauguration was over. Even though the Democrats suggested they want troops to remain in the Capitol, potentially through early March. We'll get back to that part. 
Republican Representative Madison Cawthorn wheeled himself into that parking garage with his staff to provide pizza for the cast-aside troops, while a local restaurant came out as well. The next day, after the story broke and went viral, I'll throw a fit if you don't call me doctor, First Lady Jill Biden turned up with cookies. And the peasants rejoiced. Yay! Cookies! After being cast aside, sharing a single bathroom, two toilets with 5,000 other people, and trying to sleep on freezing concrete, nothing says, we have your back, like a cute little bag of cookies. Meanwhile, Donald Trump caught wind of the situation and opened his luxury D.C. hotel to as many of them as it could accommodate. Anybody got buyer's remorse yet? The governors of Florida, Texas, New Hampshire, and Montana were so incensed by the treatment of their National Guard members, they immediately recalled them. Governor Abbott of Texas announced that he will never send his guard to D.C. again after the way they were cast aside. Now, it's bad enough to put tens of thousands of troops in the capital city, shut down the bridges, effectively close the city, and mistreats the boots on the ground called in to enforce it all. Now they're talking about keeping the troops in the city through early March. Does anyone else smell 15 days to slow the spread? After the inauguration, they continued moving more troops into D.C. Remember, these are troops with loaded weapons, authorized to use lethal force. A contingent of them are deputized marshals. Am I the only one concerned with the immediate and likely indefinite placement of military forces? On the broader stage, I can't think of any other presidential transition accompanied by this immediate and drastic a change in the course of our nation. I'm really grateful to see that some states are already standing firm against the Democrats' newfound power. Florida, Texas, New Hampshire, and Montana immediately pulled their guard when they found out what was happening to them. Montana is already putting barriers in place against Biden's insane transgender sports decree. Florida, Indiana, Utah, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Missouri have all recently taken action against child sacrifice. I mean, abortion. That may not be a complete list, and I apologize to any states boldly standing firm that I may have overlooked. We need more of this. We need the states, the ones that still have some sense left in them, to tell the Democrats they can build back better somewhere else. All right, I'm going to leave it there. As usual, you can find me on Twitter at RealIntoTheFray. I'm hearing rumors Parler may be back up at the end of the month, so I'll be putting most of my social media energy there as soon as they're back. Till next time. Be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid. Mm-hmm.